Well, good morning, family. The Lord has risen. He has risen indeed. Would you join me? Let's just pray and commit this time to Him. Father, how we thank You that You sent the Lord Jesus to be our sin-bearer, our substitute, that He rose from the dead, that we celebrate this day of resurrection. How we thank You for Your goodness to us. How we thank You for Your Word that we're able to come and to learn of You and learn from You. We are able to meet You here. We ask that Your Spirit would take Your Word and do its work in our lives. That we might leave here differently than we came. That we might be changed, conformed to the image of Your dear Son. So open our hearts, open our spiritual eyes. May we be listening to You as You speak to us through the Word. To this we commit ourselves and ask Your blessing. In Jesus' name, Amen. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. That's what it says in Ecclesiastes 7.2. Essentially, that means it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. You say, that sounds awful strange. I remember saying that once to a young guy and he said, that's just not right. (laughs) That's weird. It's the Scripture. The verse goes on to explain exactly what is meant by that. It goes on and it says, For death is the end of every man, and the living should take this to heart. There are many things that trouble people, that worry people, that consume people. Among all of those things, perhaps none is greater than death. Death comes and then what? Question mark. Modern man has a difficult time knowing how to finish that sentence. Death comes and then... By and large... Our world, our culture particularly, most people avoid talking about death, thinking about death. We often, when we talk about death, we will use other phrases, other euphemisms. We'll say, they, so-and-so passed away, they passed on, they, they left this life. You know, we'll use everything except they died. They're dead Those words stick in our craw, as it were. So as a culture, we turn up the music. We turn on the screens. We fill up our calendars. We stay busy and we try to move through life at breakneck speed and try to avoid the inevitable. But the reality is death is the ultimate statistic, I like to say. One out of one people die. There's an old saying, though, that you're not prepared to really live until you are prepared to die. There's a lot of truth in that. That, in essence, is exactly what this little verse in Ecclesiastes is saying. The great evangelist of almost 300 years ago, John Wesley, 
He offered this comment as an apologetic for the Christian faith. He said, our people die well. See, that's really at the core of what the Christian faith is all about. It's the answer to the question and to the problem of death. Over the past few weeks here at the chapel, we have been going through a study looking at the last words of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus was on the cross for six hours. In that time, He spoke seven times in those six hours. Three of those sayings were in the the first three hours from nine in the morning till noon. Then darkness fell and silence as Jesus bore the weight and the punishment of sin, the last four statements, the last four sayings of Jesus came in the last minutes before His death at three in the afternoon. Today, I encourage you to open your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. I think you'll find it helpful to have it open to just follow along Luke chapter 23, and I'm going to pick it up this morning in, in verse 44. And I'd like for you just to follow along as I read. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father! Into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Jesus was like no other man before or since. As the Scripture foretold, He was Emmanuel, God with us. God who was incarnated. God who took on flesh, who became one of us. So because Jesus was like no other man before or since, it's not surprising that His death was a death like no other. For one thing, there were amazing signs, amazing wonders that took place at His death. We've read already and talked about that there was darkness over the land, over the whole land, from the sixth hour, that's noon, until the ninth hour, that's three in the afternoon. And during this time of darkness, Jesus bears the the full venting of God's wrath, all of God's anger and punishment towards sin. Jesus bears that on the cross. The punishment that was ours. Another sign that was there, a wonder, was there was at the very moment that Jesus died, there was a curtain inside the temple Skull Hill is just outside the gates of Jerusalem, just inside the city, inside the temple, inside the 
uh, not, not only the courtyards of the temple, but inside the actual temple itself where there was the holy place and then the most holy place. Between the holy place and the most holy place was a massive, ornate curtain, 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, as thick as a man's palm, some four inches thick. The Scriptures tell us that at the very moment Jesus died, it was supernaturally ripped in two from top to bottom. We don't know exactly what it looked like because it's gone. There were no photographs. Matthew's Gospel adds, it's not recorded here in Luke, but Matthew's Gospel adds that there was an earthquake. Right again at the moment that Jesus died, an earthquake that shook the ground and split rocks. Another Unique thing of Jesus' death was that Jesus' death was a voluntary death. And I'll explain several things about why it's voluntary in a very unique way. First of all, Jesus foretold it. Jesus knew it was coming. On several occasions, Jesus told the disciples that He would be delivered up, that He would be crucified, that He would be killed on one of those is Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. He said to His disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Not only did Jesus tell the disciples beforehand that it was coming. By the way, one of my favorite, and I didn't go there, was at the Mount of Transfiguration coming down. Jesus tells them. And afterwards they're going, What does that mean? They knew ahead, but they didn't get it. Jesus not only foretold it, He allowed it. You may recall the night that before the crucifixion, Jesus had celebrated in the upper room the Passover dinner with His disciples. After the dinner, after the meal, they sang Him and they, they left the room and they went out through the streets of Jerusalem across the Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed for hours there in the garden. You may recall that. And then Judas led this procession of soldiers as they came to betray Jesus. John records for us as those soldiers came in and they and Jesus said, Whom do you seek? And the soldiers said, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. Do you call what happened next? Jesus said, I am He. And as He spoke those words, the whole company of soldiers fell flat to the ground. Jesus didn't have to stay. He didn't have to be arrested. He allowed it. You recall what happened next as the soldiers are getting up, dusting themselves off. Peter, the impetuous guy that he is, and he had said, Lord, I'll go with you anywhere. I'll die with you. He's like, okay, this is my chance. He pulls out his sword and he goes to attack and split the head of one of the first guys there coming at Jesus and he misses and takes off his ear instead. He called Jesus says, put that away, Peter. He heals the man's ear. You know what he said next? He said this, again from Matthew's Gospel. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once Send me more than twelve legions of angels. But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus' death was foretold and Jesus could have stopped this 
series of events at any time He wanted, but He allowed it to happen because He said it must happen. It was a voluntary death. Even on the cross here, as we read here in Luke's Gospel, in this last saying of Christ, he, it says, He says it with a loud cry. His loud cry demonstrates it. See, Jesus has an unusual strength and an unusual clarity of mind here on the cross. This was no weak whisper. It was not conf- there was no confused thinking, both of which would be normal after these hours on the cross. Because Jesus is allowing this to happen. He is not a helpless victim. He is the Son of God. What is holding Him to the cross really is, as the old song says, it's not the nails. It's His love that holds Him there. This was a voluntary death because when Jesus actually dies, He wills it. Our phrase here, this saying, it says that uh, Jesus says, Father, into Your hands I commend My Spirit. I commit it. There really is an act here of volition of Him choosing to place His Spirit, His life actually into the, the hands of God. Matthew makes it clearer. Matthew says Jesus yielded up His Spirit. John says something different, but the same thought. John says He bowed His head and gave up His Spirit. In both cases, Jesus does something which no one has the power to do. Death did not take His life. Jesus gave His life to death. A clear distinction. Jesus said exactly that He would do this. John chapter 10. Jesus said, I lay down My life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it down of My own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from My Father. Jesus gave up His life. No one took Him from Him. In that sense, it was a unique death. It was a voluntary death. Those who were at the cross, who were observing what happened, they attested to the fact that Jesus' death was a death like no other. Luke here records the centurion. The centurion is the, a centurion is a commander of a hundred in this case, he is a commander over this death squad. There were probably a dozen soldiers there. Usually there were four for each one who was executed. There were three on the cross crosses, so probably twelve soldiers there. This centurion, a hardened Roman soldier, battle-tested, and who has been at countless crucifixions. Luke says he saw all this. And Luke says, he praised God, declaring that Jesus was certainly innocent. He was righteous. The Gospel of Mark records that how that there's this centurion observing how Christ breathed his last. Having seen so many executions, so many men die, having seen Jesus die, he says that is totally unique. And not only did he say that Jesus was innocent, Mark says, he says, 
Truly this man was the Son of God. The Scripture doesn't tell us, but church tradition tells us that this centurion became a believer in Jesus Christ. Not only the centurion, though, all of the soldiers, Matthew tells us, all of the soldiers, Matthew says, were filled with awe. That word awe in the Greek is the word phobeo, from which we get our word phobia. In other words, they were scared. <laughs> they were frightened. And they said along with the centurion, Truly this man was the Son of God. Back to Luke here. Luke tells us again that the crowd, all of those who were there observing and watching, he says, after Jesus says this final saying and dies, says the crowd leaves beating their breasts. That was a sign in that day and in that culture, that's the sign of extreme sorrow, extreme sadness. It's a sign of, of grief. It's the sign of brokenness. And what it means is there's an awful lot these folks didn't understand that day, but this much they understood. Something very wrong has just happened. Jesus' death was not only a death like no other, but it's a death that in a very strange statement, it's a death that defeated death. Just a few moments before Jesus said, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit, Jesus said His next to the last saying, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, His next to the last saying was, one word in Greek, tetelestai, in English it's translated it is finished. Jesus had finished. He had completed the work that He came to do. What is the work that He came to do? And what is the work that He was doing on the cross? It was. He was, he was paying the debt of our sin so that we don't owe it anymore. The guilt of our sins has been removed. But there is actually something else which we may not have thought of before. Marvelous little passage over in Hebrews chapter 2 that adds another little dimension to what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Since the children, that's us, have flesh and blood, He, that's Jesus, He too shared in their humanity, our humanity, so that by His death He might destroy Him who holds the power over death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Something Jesus accomplished on the cross is He freed us from the power and from the fear of death. Death has been defanged. Jesus has removed, if we use the analogy that the Apostle Paul uses over in 1 Corinthians 15, He has Remove the stinger from the bee. It still buzzes, it still makes a fuss, but it can't sting you. That's the point. We need not fear death any longer because of Jesus' death on the cross. In the remaining moments, I want to look here in these, at these final words of Jesus in verse 46. 
And because Jesus has removed the fear of death, I want us to see in Jesus' example how you and I, as believers of Jesus in Jesus Christ, as followers of His, how we die well. Five keys here in Jesus' example as He dies on the cross, five keys that enable us to face death with confidence and with contentment rather than with fear and trepidation. Jesus' death is then an exemplary death. Again, verse 46, Jesus' last words, Father, into Your hands I commit My Spirit. The first thing I notice is that Jesus cries out, Father, he begins his first words on the cross begin with Father. His last words begin with Father. It was frequently on his lips. We noted a few weeks ago that in these hours on the cross, and I talked about it just a moment ago, Jesus is bearing the penalty of our sin. He is fully God and also fully man. And He, in these hours on the cross, endures infinitely the wrath of God for our sin. And He is forsaken by the Father in our place. He, as being fully God, can bear an infinite amount of sin and an infinite amount of judgment over an infinite amount of time. And yet it happens in a finite time. And I don't understand that at all. It was easy to say, but I don't get it. It's way above my pay grade. But I believe it because the Scripture says it. Jesus had to be God in order to bear all man's sin and to pay an infinite debt which our sin deserved. But He also had to be man to take our place, and He had to be man in order to die. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I won't spend more time on that. But now having completed that part of the atonement, Jesus prepares for the final requirement, His death. And Jesus, now that the wrath and the forsaking is over, Jesus calls upon the faithful, tender compassion of His Father as He yields Himself to death. He calls on the Father. All of us who have been children or have had children or have witnessed children, we get it, we understand. If you've ever seen a child that is frightened, a child who is scared, a child who is in danger, we understand that for such a child there is no refuge more comforting there is no place more secure than in the strong arms of a loving Father. As Jesus faces death, He calls out to the Father for comfort, for security. And there's some very, very good news here for you and me, for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, and that is this. His Father is our Father. And His Father, who is our Father, loves us as much as He loves Jesus. Now, 
I didn't just make that up. If I did, then you shoot me because I'm a heretic. But I didn't make it up because Jesus said it. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying His high priestly prayer for His disciples and for us. And He says, He says that they may know that You sent Me and loved them even as You loved Me. Isn't that rich? Isn't that marvelous? God loves you as much as He loves Jesus. And I don't get that because I know you. (laughs) And I get it less because I know me. Why does God love us that much? I don't know, but I'm so glad He does. And here's the thing. Whenever then you or I face death or any circumstance up till that, we may call on our Father who loves us and we may find there refuge and strength and comfort. Even as Jesus calls on the Father in these moments before He dies. That's rich. There's more lessons here to learn from how Jesus faced death that will help us to face death in the same way. Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Here's the good news going back to that thing about being children of God. Anybody can be a child of God and have that same experience, that same love that Jesus, that God has for Jesus as He has for us. John chapter 1, it says, but as many or to all who received Him, to them who believed on His name, to them He gave the right to become children of God. If you wonder, how is it that I can be a children, a child of God and know that He loves me? The Scripture says it's quite simple. It's to those who receive Him who believe on His name. But secondly, Jesus, in saying, into your hands I commit my spirit, I realize and understand from that that He, knew, he knows that God is in control. He's He's committing Himself to God, understanding that God is in control of the circumstances and the situation. God is almighty. God is sovereign. He is in control. It certainly didn't look like that in all these hours leading up to this moment. If you were watching what was going on, you would say, this is totally out of control Or else Jesus is an evil man and God is pouring out His wrath on him because he's evil or something. Because look at what's happening. This man is being treated cruelly and brutally by evil men. The evil people are winning. That's what it looked like from a human standpoint. But even as Jesus suffered and ultimately was crucified at these hands of evil men, not one thing that happened was random. Not one thing that happened was a mistake. Not one thing that happened was an accident. Over these past weeks as we've looked at these sayings of Jesus on the cross, each time we've been going back to the Old Testament and finding that what's happening here was told hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. And we just looked at a few of the hundreds of prophecies about Jesus what we understand and what we discover is that 
Everything is happening not accidentally, but exactly according to plan. The Apostle Peter says it this way, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You guys killed Jesus and you did it by lawless and evil men. But I want you to know something. It was by the plan of God. The deliberate, definite plan of God. The same God who is in control of that day and all of those circumstances is in control of our lives and our deaths as well. Our brothers and sisters who died this day in Sri Lanka did not die as an accident. They did not die as a mistake. They were in the hands of our God. Those words are written on the tombstones of some friends of mine down in Salem Springs, Arkansas. It says, God is good and He makes no mistakes. We believe that. So no matter how random or how dark or how out of control our life might seem, if we are trusting and following Christ, we can know, as Romans 8.28 promises, that God is working in it and through it for our good. We can rest and trust in His promises and plans. That's what Jesus knows here and is indicating. And so, it leads on to this. The next thing is we can trust Him with our death. And I have here as well, with our life, Jesus says, I commit. Those words are a choice, a decision of faith, a decision of trust. The word commit is the same word that's used for deposit. Is If, you know, Uncle Fred died yesterday and he left you $250,000 and you're sitting there now with $250,000 in your hands, you wonder, what do I do with it? You think about putting it in your mattress and then you think, well, that might not be safe. So you think, I'm going to take it to the bank. You take it to the bank and you deposit it with a bunch of strangers. That makes sense. And they give you a little piece of paper and they say, it's safe with us. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, that's depositing it. Banks are usually faithful and that's why we trust them. But God is always faithful. And so we should trust Him. These words of Jesus, as the words of Jesus often are, they are actually a quotation from the Scriptures. Jesus is quoting Psalm 31, verse 5. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This verse from Psalms was actually, the, the historians tell us that these, these, this was the, the bedtime prayer that Jewish mothers always taught their young children. It was usually the first verse of Scripture that any Jewish child would learn because mom would say it every night, putting the child to bed. Just like a lot of parents used to say when they'd put their kids to bed, they'd teach them to say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's, by the way, the same prayer. It just takes longer. <laughs> Into your hands I commit my spirit. But this committing of Himself into the hands of God was nothing new. It was actually exactly how Jesus lived every day of His life, every moment of His life. If you look back through His life, He was always consumed with what does the Father want? What does the Father desire? 
It was the very prayer of the night before this in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus died in the same way that He lived. Trusting and committed to the plan of God and into the hands of God. You know, I think it's true that most people die as they lived. There is such a thing as a deathbed conversion where somebody in the very last moments of their life say, I believe, I trust Jesus. Example, the one of the thieves on the cross who this very afternoon, or actually in the morning, cried out for mercy to Jesus and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. May I say that's extremely rare. Most people die as they live. Those who are trusting in Christ in life, they are ready for death whenever it comes. But those who refuse to trust Him in life, in my observation and experience over 62 years, most of them die without opportunity to change their mind. Or they tend to refuse to do so even when they have opportunity at the end. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The question is, are you trusting Jesus today? There's a fourth thing here that I see in Jesus and believe me, these are going to happen fast. So, Another thing that I notice in Jesus' words that how He died that prepare us for our own death is that remember that our spirit goes to God. Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. When Jesus died, His Spirit immediately went into the presence of the Father, into the hands of the Father, into the presence of God in paradise. Exactly as Jesus told that thief who believed on the cross next to Him, where He said to that man, I tell you, this day you will be with Me in paradise. For the one who is trusting in Jesus, the moment that we die, we step into Eternity into the presence of God, into His care, into His hands. That's good news. The Scripture tells us that. 2 Corinthians 5.8 To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I, I need to say as well that the, the body, this body doesn't go to heaven. But our spirit does. The spirit is the real us. Sometimes we look at people and we get kind of carried away with the, the body and we tend to judge people by the body. <laughs> Sad thing because most of us realize that's a losing proposition. The real us is inside. It's the, the part you can't see. And if you've ever been there when someone dies, and I've been there for quite a few, you see that they are there and then the spirit leaves the body and suddenly... It's just a hunk of flesh. They're gone. It's the Spirit that is the real us. This body is just a temporary dwelling place for our spirit. Our spirits are eternal. This body isn't. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 calls this body a tent. I like that. A tent. Tents are temporary places to stay. I actually enjoy staying in tents when we go camping for a little while. 
And that little while has gotten less every day I get older. A tent is temporary and it's a reminder that there's something better that's coming when we get home to our bed. The tent of this body is the same way. And our spirit goes to be with God immediately when we die. And it leaves this old tent. And it's a reminder that there's something better coming. Resurrection is coming. It's not... To be fair, it's not exactly in Jesus' words here. But we know the rest of the story. It's Friday and Sunday's coming. There's resurrection coming. Jesus had told His disciples on several occasions He was going to rise from the dead. They didn't get it. May I say that Christians do not die well simply because Jesus died well. We... we do not fear death, but we don't not fear death to get the double negatives right. We don't not fear death simply because Jesus died. We don't fear death because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. Forty days later, he, after appearing to the disciples and to many, many, many witnesses, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, to over 500 at one time. After 40 days, he ascended to heaven and now he is there in heaven in a resurrected, glorified human body. A body, the Scripture says, like the one that we will one day get. That one day He is coming back and when He comes back, it is a great resurrection day. It is a day when you and I get refitted with a new body. And not just a new body, a better body. An upgrade. It's a body that's eternal. One that's not marred by sin. One that's not marred by disease. One not marred by defect. One that will not wear down. One that will never wear out. Where we will a body in which we will live in new heavens and a new earth and with Jesus forever. And that, brothers and sisters, is why Christians don't fear death. That's why we die well. We have a Father who loves us upon whom we call. We know that He is in control of everything. He is sovereign. We trust Him with our death and with our life. And the moment we die, our spirit goes to be with Him and there is resurrection day coming. And it's not living in clouds, playing harps for eternity. It's real life in real bodies forever and ever with no more of the stuff that we don't like in this world. Sin, death, illness. Isn't that awesome stuff? That's why this day, Easter, Resurrection Day, is a great day of celebration for believers in Jesus. His resurrection is the assurance that we have that Resurrection Day is coming for us. The real question is, are you still living in fear of death? Or are you trusting Jesus? God's Word is clear. 
God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that's Jesus, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you. He sent Jesus to save you, to pay for your sin, to provide eternal life for anyone, even you, if you will trust in Him. Father, thank You for this great news. I don't understand why You loved us so much. I don't understand why that why You would go to the cross and endure an eternal torment for us. I don't understand how You did it. All I understand is it cost You unthinkably for people like us who were unlovely and who were rebels. And You offer to us this free gift that we do not deserve. I pray if there's anyone here that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus that they would understand the good news of what we have just said, what Your Word says. That if they will even now just say, yes, Lord, I understand. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I trust in Jesus. Receive Him as my Savior. Your Word says, the one who comes to you, you will never turn away. And they are a child of God. For all of us this morning who are here, who are believers in Jesus, may these, the, these realities, they, may they grip our soul so that we never again fear death and we never again live the same. That we live for Jesus. It's in His name we bask. Amen.